Um, Dr. Zayden is a game designer, artist, researcher, and comic book artist. So I, and I know any number of those uh, roles and expertise will interest different folks in the audience. So she is Kingston University London's first recipient of a PhD by practice in superhero art and history with research findings presented in the form of an award-winning video game, The Adventures of Meta Man, the male superhero as a representation of modern Western masculinity. And it's almost like a, you're very much, I would say, a kindred to CMS in the sense of ideas and making things coming together. So it's really fantastic to have you here for that. Um, she's one of the creators and illustrators of the feminist superhero comic series, My So-Called Secret Identity, which is in collaboration with Batman scholar Dr. Will Brooker and animation artist Susan Shore. Uh, Dr. Zayden teaches video game design at Emerson College, so just right across the river, which makes it really nice if you want to follow up with her, because <laughs> she is local. Uh, and she's a research fellow with the Engagement Lab there, which some of you may know for their work in gaming. Um, today she's going to be presenting her work, uh, and the title of the talk is The Adventures of Ms. Meta, Celebrating the Female Superhero Through Digital Gaming. So welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you all for coming, and thank you for having me. It's really wonderful to be here this evening. So from TL's introduction, there's an awful lot of mentioning superheroes with the word meta in their names. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context for that. So in uh, 2007, I embarked on the aforementioned PhD by practice. And I understand that having had my doctorate and completed it successfully for a few years now, I'm running out of chances to tell you about my thesis. But I promise in this case, it is important and relevant to the information I will be sharing with you in this talk. So for my doctoral dissertation, I decided that it wasn't enough to simply research why representations of male superheroes in comics tend to follow particular paradigms and particular plot lines. I also wanted to create an artistic work that uh, showed my findings. As an artist, I didn't want to just give that up because I was also researching. And uh, so I also did not want to run into copyright issues with uh, the big two, as in Marvel Comics and DC Comics, although I was going to be heavily borrowing from the archetypes that, that they presented with their characters and the storylines that those characters have been in over the years. So to circumvent this, I created a superhero character, uh, a blank slate that I could project all of these archetypes onto, and I called him Meta Man. My reasoning was that, one, he changes as a metamorphosis over the 70 years that, you, that the, the player experiences when they experience my thesis, and two, meta as in self-referential, as in breaking the fourth wall kind of meta. And... Uh, I ended up creating a number of different characters in Meta Man's universe, and I had originally planned for the dissertation to look at the female superhero as well, and hence the Ms. Meta of the title of my talk. But then I realized if I wanted to include both male and female superheroes in this work, which involved um, lots and lots of coding and lots and lots of drawing and researching and writing about the work that I was researching and then creating drawings that embodied the research and then coding that into the dissertation, I would need another four years and another do uh, doctorate. So I kind of put that all off to one side. And uh, so we're going to fast forward another four years. I, ha I have my doctorate. And between then and now, uh, the resources available to aspiring game designers have changed for the better tremendously. Uh, Unity had been around, but 
at the um, the learning curve was a little too steep at the time that I was working on my dissertation. So I coded the entire thing in Flash using ActionScript 3.0. And for anyone who has worked with this, I am so sorry. It is not something I would wish on anyone. And uh, I d did not work in Flash again after that. <laughs> But I still wanted to do something more with my work. I wanted it to be, when I say that a video game, it was more of a point and click video game. I wanted to do something that actually put the player in the shoes of a superhero. And my reasoning behind that was it wasn't enough to just didacticize and, you know, here's Meta Man in the 40s, he's got this red, white, and blue uniform, he's really patriotic, he's punching a Nazi um, aircraft carrier, actually, in the first <laughs> level that you, that you meet him, and a whole bunch of little Navy guys cheer, and they're only about this big on the screen, but their uniforms are meticulously researched, as, as, as everything in there, and, uh, and then in the 50s, he's got this redesign post the comics code, and now he's got this orange, blue, and yellow uniform, and has a whole bunch of other characters and villains that he didn't have in the 40s. And I wanted to be more than that. And the most I got was the 1960s, where you get to explore his um, secret lab, very much in the vein of the Adam West uh, Bat Cave. And you get to play with a computer that has different gimmicky costumes for different terrains. And you can, you can choose which uh, costume you want to see, and it drops down uh, into a tube, and then it goes away, and you choose another one. And th that was uh, the closest I got to really getting in it with the interaction. And I wanted to do more with that. And uh, so fast forward to 2014 when I came to work at Emerson College. And uh, this is just a plug for Emerson and for the Engagement Lab where I'm a research fellow is that we are trying to make our voices heard as a presence in game design in Boston. And we have with us today one of my students who has taken um, three of my classes. <laughs> but uh, the most more not notable one is my introduction to game design class. And we're currently doing a directed study um, focusing on um, looking at uh, tropes surrounding the way that um, female characters are presented. And there's a lot of like um, princesses saving themselves kind of thing. And we um, have a meeting about that as well. So uh, we are doing things with games. And the Engagement Lab is doing fantastic things with games and the city of Boston and other communities as well outside of Boston. So that, that's a uh, you know, really wonderful and stimulating space for me to be a part of. And it's also allowed me to have opportunities such as being able to go to the Unite conference that we had a couple weeks ago here in Boston. And um, I spent 12 hours programming a game that involved having little tanks run around and shooting each other and felt kind of soulless by the end of it. But my, my one um, little bit of rebellion was I colored one of them fluorescent purple. But uh, <laughs> then, um, but what we also learned that the newest version of Unity that's coming out this December has a whole ton of features to support 2D gaming. And this is making me very happy. Uh, as the kids say, 2D is my jam. Um, I, despite having a master's in animation, I've never learned to model in 3D. That is a, a, a secret shame I am admitting here. Uh, but I can draw and I can animate. And now I have, with tools like Unity, the means to create the game I always wanted to create back in 2007 when I was stuck with Flash. So that is what, is what I'm going to be talking to you um, about today, is the game that I'm working on. And my influences, the various places I'm pulling my research from, um, and here we go. So, uh, welcome to the Adventures of Ms. Meta, celebrating the female superhero through digital gaming. 
Um, that is me, Sarah Zaydan, Emerson College. And here's where I'm at right now. I am making a video game about a female superhero. And I decided, um, Meta Man is going to show up in here, by the way, and he'll, he'll be that very, um, uh, there's a website that collects vintage covers of Superman from the 40s and 50s. It's uh, called supermanisadick.com. Um, <laughs> Meta Man is probably going to be a lot like that in his early incarnations, but you'll get to see him evolve throughout the years as well. But um, Ms. Meta is going to be the character that players will be embodying as they go through this game. And one of the things that I'm very much looking forward to. I have a paper prototype that exists for this. I did not bring it along, but uh, the paper prototype for the character creation system right now is essentially paper dolls with different components that you can layer onto each other. But I'm hoping to have a modular character creation system so that every player can create their own Mismeta and um, there will be a lot of opportunities for customization with that. But before we get to that, as any good researcher, I began with having a look at the literature. And one of the things I love about being a game scholar is my literature involves games. I get to play games, I get to study games. This makes me very happy. Uh, Macy, I wish there were a little fewer, fewer hours in the day, though. But um, what did I learn in my review of the literature? I learned a number of things. Superheroes in video games in general tend to fall into a number of very stratified categories. The biggest one would be intellectual properties. And I think between now and 2020, there's something like 35 superhero properties that are emerging, whether it's in film or television. I think there's more than that now, but uh, last I checked, it was somewhere in the 30s. They're not going anywhere, which is a good chance for me to be making a game about them. Uh, so. There's intellectual properties like the Batman Arkham series, which I'm currently playing through as we speak. And I'm taking lots of notes and taking lots of screen caps. And I'm really looking at that, that question of identity, that you're playing as Batman. Batman has been around since 1939. He is billed as the world's greatest detective. He is known for his intellect as well as his martial arts capabilities, his knowledge of um, criminal forensics and criminal psychology and all these other things that make him this very, I, I like to think of him as the patron saint of graduate students because he never sleeps and he's out all night fighting for the greater good uh, <laughs> and doesn't eat well and has this butler who worries about him and his diet all the time. Uh, uh, so there's, there's all these things about Batman and I've been a long time Batman fan since um, I'd say I discovered Batman the animated series when I was 10. And um, <clears throat> which is why it was, it was a dream come true to work with Dr. Will Brooker, being that he is a Batman scholar. And he came on board just as I was in need of a supervisor, so it was very serendipitous. And I probably wouldn't be studying Batman as stringently if it hadn't been for his influence. And the Arkham series features heavily in my uh, primary research. Uh, what I learned, um, starting with Arkham Asylum, is that there's all these things that make up Batman as this multifaceted character in the comics and other forms of media that he appears in, but the game is very limited in what you get to do as Batman. There's a lot of punching, there's a lot of fighting. Okay, it looks great, uh, and the, the combo mechanic is very satisfying and rewarding, but I'm also feeling I'm not getting to do enough as Batman, and I know with Arkham Knight, the most recent game in the series, the designers did try to address this, and there was a statement that uh, the lead developer said that really stuck with me and um, this was in June and when the game was released he said that he wanted to allow players to play the Batman game that they want to play so he's got enough variety in gameplay that everyone who's approaching this game can have the Batman game they want and 
I will probably not be able to do quite that much because I'm not creating an open world game, but I will, that, that idea really stuck with me. And as a game designer, we do our best to, to create a system that hopefully will be watertight enough when it is unleashed upon players and they get to poke holes in it just through the, the, the act of playing it. And one hopes that that system will have something in there somehow that will allow every player to make their own meaning and find something of value in it. And I'm hoping to be able to do that without having an open world universe. But uh, other examples of intellectual properties featuring superheroes are um, things like this, which is one of Marvel's puzzle games. Uh, the name escapes me right now, but around the time that I put this together, which was in the spring, I got the screenshot, they added in the current Thor, who is a woman. So I was thinking it's really quick that they brought her into the game. Kind of interesting, uh, especially since a lot of these mobile games show what is popular right now, and of course the Marvel Lego franchise, and I have that there not just because it's amusing, but also because what does the game allow you to do as a superhero when you're, you and your world are made of Legos? I'm really interested in exploring that kind of identity formation there as well. So you've got intellectual properties, then there's standalone franchises like the Infamous series, which is very much a superhero story. It's not based on an existing comic book that I know of. If it is, please correct me. Uh, to my understanding, it is, uh, it is a standalone story. And um, the sequel, Infamous Second Son, is another one I'm looking at. And more interestingly, City of Heroes. And City of Heroes is doing a lot of things that I feel my game may fill the void partially. I'm hoping it will fill the void. I think there's definitely a void for customizable superhero characters out there on the internet now that City of Heroes is gone. And City of Heroes is notable because it began as an MMO, a massively multiplayer online game, but also spawned a transmedia franchise that included comics and novels. And I am hoping over the process of developing my game that I'll get to interview former players of City of Heroes. At the moment, there is the internet. And uh, these screenshots are from a gentleman who, he is a game developer himself. Uh, at the time that he was playing City of Heroes, he created 13 characters, and over half of them were female. And he had all these different backstories for every single one of them. They're very involved, including like a, t a temporally displaced pirate to uh, this character who's only about a foot tall. So you can kind of see for scale, this guy's crouching down, and I think her name is the Mosquito. And um, when I saw that, I was thinking, okay, so what are the customizable ways that City of Heroes lets you create your character? Obviously, height, is, height, color, but I think you can probably tell from these two screenshots there's only one body type. And that is something that I would like to counter in my game. And it's something that is beginning to be seen in the comic industry as well, that there are um, more than one body type appearing for female superheroes, which is long overdue. I mean, that started happening for male superheroes in the 60s with things like the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, the stuff that Marvel was doing in what is often referred to as the Silver Age, showed uh, a fair bit of body diversity. A character like Ben Grimm, the Thing, the big orange rock guy, is going to have a very different build than Peter Parker, a high school student who is Spider-Man. So, um, 
I, with this brings me to a study from GDC 2015. It was conducted by Wiseman and Birch, and uh, they were looking at middle school students and high school students, uh, both boys and girls. And it's a little bit hard to see, but at the top there, they're asking, what gender do you prefer playing as? And what is interesting to note is the third column there that um, 34% of the boys and 46% of the girls had no preference as to what gender they played as. 15% um, of the boys, this was for middle school, said they preferred playing as female. 7% um, of, no, of, the, of, yeah, of the high school boys preferred to play as a female character um, versus 7% in middle school. Um, and I was thinking about the, the, that very big size of the no preference column and how it kind of contradicts what a lot of the AAA, the big multi-billion dollar game industry, tends to think about um, female player characters in games, that games with a female lead will not sell, and you need to give players the option to play, if you're going to give them an option at all, to play as someone other than a male character. Uh, the study is really interesting because of the amount, I don't have these slides up, but uh, the amount of girls who, in the study, who play first-person shooters and who play um, fighting games and other games that are often gendered masculine. But then this came on my radar, um, Wonder City. And it's more of a visual novel than a game. And it was created by Naomi Clark as a tie-in with the documentary Wonder Women, the untold story of American superheroines, which was on PBS a couple years ago. And what I found really notable about Wonder City is this is just a small example of the character creation the player is given three options for height, build, and body type, but then they can customize what skin color that they want to have on their character, again, from a limited pool of options. But uh, this top picture shows a shot of some of the supporting characters in the story. The um, main character's best friend is Native American, and that's not being treated as that's all she's about. It's uh, very much she's a person first, a nerd first, a Native American further down on the list. Uh, one of the characters in the main cast is genderqueer. Uh, there's, so there's a, lot, there's a little bit more variety. That, uh, and one of Naomi Clark's goals with this game was to break down stereotypes, especially about high school and um, see girls in high school. And the, uh, the game is, is more of a teaser than a, f a fully completed product. Uh, the player gets to experience the first three levels, uh, sort of a complete story arc where the villain gets away with you know, the, the item that you need to save the day kind of a thing. And, but at the end of each of these three chapters, the game measures how the player's heroism style is. Like, are they going to be selfless? Are they going to run in front of a moving vehicle to push a friend out of the way? Are they going to be circumspect? Will they tell their closest friends that they just realize they have superpowers? Or are they going to keep it to themselves? It assesses each player's um, heroism style based on how they interact with the game and the story. And that was something else that I thought was interesting, was this um, idea of the heroism style. and. The other thing the game does is it uses comic book panels to, crea in a, to create cutscenes, which was kind of a nice nod to the origins of the superhero genre. And then I started thinking, so 
what else exists outside of the mainstream that is looking at, at presenting like, female heroic characters that are diverse, that are, are complex? And I came across Her Adventure, which got an NEA grant a couple years ago, and it's created by a mother-daughter team who both, uh, it, it, this is also, they're calling it a interactive comic experience. So there's a game, there's short films, and there's a comic series as well. And the, in the films, the player is watching the uh, the main character, but in the game they get to actually be her, which I thought was an interesting perspective shift as well. And um, a couple of my major influences uh, that I've have really inspired me tremendously for the Ms. Meta game is uh, Valiant Hearts Ubisoft's 2D uh, side-scrolling adventure puzzle game about World War One, and. To explain why this inspired me so much, it goes beyond the level design. It was a comment one of the developers made that their first point of inspiration were letters that one of their ancestors had written to his mother when he was serving in World War I. And I started thinking, where can I find voices of people from different time periods outside of the mainstream media? Because I do not want to look at films about, for example, the 1940s, because that's where the game will start. Is, uh, I'm working, this weekend is dedicated to ironing out the mechanics and ironing out my villain's motivations. So I'm not sure why my villain is doing this yet, and I'm not sure what is my villain's gender, but I do know that they, are that they have constructed a device to go back in time and are hoping to, uh, to end up with a present day that suits them better than the one that they're in, and you as the player, as Ms. Meta, jump in after them, and it spits you out in the 1940s. 40s, and where you find that while you are still a thoroughly modern female superhero, your appearance will have changed according to conventions of the 40s, and I do have an example of concept art that shows that, that you will see later today. So I was thinking about the levels and who's populating the levels and what is populating the levels. Um, as an artist, I'm a little bit obsessed with visual culture. I love to study, just coming in here, I must have spent about 15 minutes going by the bulletin boards uh, on the ground floor of MIT and looking at all of the posters and the flyers and all of the events and getting that sense of what is the MIT community, what is it, what is it doing right now? And every time I come here, I look at them and I, um, Today I learned that your mascot is the beaver, the, nature, the natural engineer, so uh, things like that. But I also learned a lot, so I learned a lot about a place from its visual culture. And that really made me think about the, the, the 1940s, which is the level I'm working on now. What does that environment look like? I have lots of, I can collect and I do collect lots of um, copyright free, uh, clip art books. Uh, Dover is a very dangerous place, uh, Dover books. And I have lots of, of illustrations of, from advertisements, from catalogs from the 30s and 40s, but I didn't feel that that was enough. I wanted to hear people's voices directly. So I was thinking about letters. Letters are good. Letters are, uh, are interesting if you can find them, and it, sometimes letters are very specific. So then I started thinking, well, what are other spaces that people create to have their voices heard. As someone who, who came of age during Web 1.0, I was thinking of fan sites uh, later on, community sites, forums, message boards. Okay, what did they have in the 40s that took that place? Magazines. So. Uh, one of the benefits of living uh, so close to Radcliffe is having access to the Schlesinger Library. And I spent 
far too much time looking over periodicals from the 1940s, specifically women's periodicals. I'm going to look at other periodicals from the 40s, but they've got back issues of Ladies Home Journal going back to 1917, and I'm going to look at them all. Well, at least all of the ones from the decades that I am focusing on, for, the, for at all intents and purposes, the 40s. And at, at this point in my research, I've dissected issues from 1939 to 1941. And I found this an amazing resource because it's had so many things that completely subverted what I thought I was going to find going in. One of the first things I discovered was how ubiquitous comics were as a form of communication. I would say about 85% of the advertisements in those magazines are presented in the form of comic strips. And they're advertising everything from laxatives to pancake mix to um, cranberry sauce turkeys you can cut out with a cookie cutter that will not rust because it's made of plastic. And there's a lot of things that are aiming at the homemaker, yes. I will admit that there, there's a lot of articles that are aimed at the homemaker, but there's a lot of articles that paint a picture of what the readership's concerns and thoughts and feelings were in these time periods. And there's um, a column in there by Eleanor Roosevelt, and she answers readers' questions. And some of the questions are really very progressive for the time period, like what are her thoughts on divorce? And she's like, well, it's often a lot better for the people involved to get divorced, and all the people I know have gotten divorced are a lot happier for it. And I was thinking, this is 1940, where she wrote this. I know the column polarized people. I, must, I would imagine if there had been a social media feed for this, she probably would have gotten lots of hate mail, but also lots of people who would have hit like. But uh, I also found a preoccupation with, as America got closer and closer to participating in World War II, this incredibly pervasive sense of social anxiety that permeated every article, no matter how innocuous it was, even the articles that were recipes for making dinners. They, there's a tone in there about that, that indicates the need for frugality, the need for rationing. The fashion articles are now saying that it's your patriotic duty to look good when you visit your man and when he's going to the, you know, he's doing basic training. And at the same time, there's articles that uh, address, well, they had a monthly feature called What Do the Women of America Think About Noun? And uh, the one I zeroed in on was What Do the Amer Women of America Think About Entertainment? And there was a lot of anxiety about things like Snow White, which had just come out in the late 30s. A feature film animation, this is a new form of media, is this corrupting our children? That, that constant narrative that reappears so much in the history of comics and in the history of video games, uh, I've seen it many times in my research. It was cropping up even then. Uh, there, my, I rather like the, what do the women of America think about men? And that was really quite scathing. <laughs> Most of it concentrated on how much dumber they were and how, how, how they don't realize it. <laughs> but these were readers who were, who were writing in to Ladies Home Journal, and these, this, these were their opinions. And then I started looking into who are the contributors, who are the people writing into these magazines. Is it like Carolyn Keene, the author of Nancy Drew, a pseudonym for a male writer? And I found that in some cases, yes, that was true, but in a lot of cases, the women um, contributors who I researched had very, very complicated and rich lives, uh, much more so than the archetype of the plucky girl reporter would lend one to believe. Um, Gladys Tabor, whose column was called A Diary of Domesticity that she had at the end of each, uh, each issue, um, dis I, I know the title caused me to dismiss it at first. I was thinking, well, this is, this is homemaker's experiences on the farm she lives on, okay. 
then I looked her up and I found that she was doing this as a single mother. She was divorced, she had two kids, she had a master's in English literature, she authored a very long-running series of books and her work with Ladies Home Journal was something she did on the side. Uh, there was another contributor who was their food editor who had a degree in law, and she also wrote other topics other than food, although her, her, her voice is absolutely hilarious to me. She writes things like, fried chicken we always have with us, and then gives you a recipe on how to make it. Like, we always have with us. I need to check my pockets. Am I you know, carrying it around with me? But I, so I, I, got, I started thinking about the, these people that I sort of were, were beginning to leap off the page to me as, as real individuals, and thinking, how can I honor the fact that the contemporary view of the 40s was that, yes, okay, women participated in the war effort, but then the war was over and they went back in the kitchen. And I was thinking, no, they're so much more than that. So there's definitely going to be a magazine writer character in the 40s, and she's certainly not going to follow along with the plucky girl archetype and is going to have a lot more in common with these women that I read about in my research. Um, and I, oh, oh dear. No, I don't care if my spyware is out of date. Go away. Uh, so. Valiant Hearts was the game that uh, steered me on that path of, of looking at individuals' voices. And I'm um, currently working on the 40s menu, but very excited when I start to get into the 60s and 70s and I get to start looking at feminist and queer zines and that whole underground culture that emerged there and see what, th what those voices have to say and how I can represent that in the game. And of course, every era is going to look like the comics of that time. I can't, I can't give that up. And, uh, and, and the characters that Ms. Meta will meet uh, are also going to be inspired by a lot of characters from comics of that time, some of whom are not the, all that well known, and I'll, I'll get to some of them shortly. But what I also really admired about Valiant Hearts was its choice of player characters. You play as five characters over the course of the game, you, you have to, the story switches between all five, and they're all very distinct types that aren't often seen in games. The first character that you get to play as is an elderly French man who is a farmer and he joins up with the war because his son-in-law was forcibly drafted by the Germans. Very shortly after he does this he becomes a prisoner of war and um, his levels are very, like the, thing, the, the actions that the player gets to take a, as this character are not ones that one would normally think that they're doing in a game about a war. There's no shooting on the part of the character. There's no, okay, there's, there's throwing grenades, but it's more like throwing a grenade to blow up a, like, an object rather than blow up a person. There's, there's no killing in this game, even though there are people being killed around you, but you are not actually participating in the killing. Another character is uh, a 30-year-old African-American man who was in France at the time, and his wife was killed in a bombing, so he joined up with the war. The character in the screenshot there is a Belgian young lady who was studying to be a nurse, and the war broke out, and she joined the war effort. Um, you get to play as the aforementioned son-in-law, and also a medic dog. You get to play as a medic dog, and uh, who I understand is quite beloved in the fandom. But the, uh, the style of the game is it's a little hard to see, but it is quite comic-like. There's lots of thick outlines surrounding everything. The colors tend to towards the flat rather than the painterly, and the characters' proportions as well are not uh, super realistic. They're kind of all sort of short and squat, and uh, but what the game also does that I would 
I have to find a video, but if you play the game, you, you, you will see this, is it uses comic panels as a means of imparting information. There's a sequence where your character is getting shot at by a guy in a tank, and every time he reloads, a comic panel pops up showing the animation of him reloading, so you know this is the cue to get behind cover. And it does a lot of, of, of things with that. It does a lot with audio, and um, one of my favorite levels includes rallying together all these survivors of um, the, of bombing to help an individual who's, who is um, in a hole underneath a very large piece of furniture that cannot be moved individually. And just that idea of bringing all of these NPCs together to, um, to, to save other members of their community really resonated with me and really made me think about I want my game to be about resource management, and that resource management are the connections that Ms. Meta makes throughout the time periods that she's in. And one of the beautiful things about working with comics, and some people hate this about comics, some people love, the, love it, for me, it depends on the day and how I'm looking at it. Sometimes I feel that a 70-year legacy for a character is really stifling. In the case of my game, it's great because the player will get to see how NPC characters like Meta Man, for example, evolve over the different decades, and also how different characters may evolve because of the interactions they will have with Ms. Meta. Like, I really love the idea of her meeting a child character who by the 60s becomes a superhero herself, depending on her, if her interaction with Ms. Meta inspired her to do that in the way that um, happened with, well, assorted superheroes taking on protégés, certainly. The other um, thing that I really was influenced by was a game called Framed. It's for iOS. It's amazing. It's brilliant. You, you need it. Except, uh, just one, one caveat, even if you have your phone on mute, the game will turn the sound on, because uh, it has this very uh, 40s film noir jazz soundtrack, and uh, as, as from the title, the title character has been framed, and you need to find out why we're being framed, but each of these, it's a puzzle, like this level starts off like this, and your character is trying to escape these cops over here, uh, somehow, some way. You're presented with stairways, you're presented with windows, there's a fire axe right there, and a boarded up window, but the events are not in sequence, and it's up to you, the player, to, by touching and moving around, uh, shifting the placement of all of these frames. And I really loved that idea. In the beginning, I was really committed to having every time Ms. Meta encountered something interactable, comic panels would pop up and the player would choose the, um, the panel that best represented how they wanted to move forward. And then I thought about that and sort of smacked myself internally because that was terrible user interface design and just awful because it throws the player completely out of the game. So um, what I, I have found a workaround. I am still having comic panels in this game and I'll tell you about them in a few moments. Um, here is a concept art that I've, I've, I've put together. This is showing one possible option for your Ms. Meta of the present day with her 40s counterpart who is significantly lighter skinned, still darker skinned than most 40s heroines would have been, but in this distinctly um, pinup inspired outfit, it's uh, actually directly taken, uh, directly inspired, her upper half and her gloves and her boots are directly taken from a pinup uh, illustration of a very pretty blonde woman sitting on the wing of a plane and saluting. Uh, but I, but, that, but that, that made me think about why not give her a connection 
to the women that were helping out in the war effort in the 40s. Why not make her a wasp who was flying her plane in a thunderstorm and there was, a, there was lightning stru- struck and it gave her superpowers? Well, let's go with that. So that's like one possible option. I, I'm t- but present-day Ms. Meta, however, d- regardless of what um, her background is, is going, to ha- is going to be connected to engineering. And the reason for this is this is where the comic panels come in and also because women engineers A++, but also because I, um, I'd like to give some customizability for the player's powers. I'd like for them to pick at the beginning maybe from uh, choosing flight to, or choosing super strength, choosing the ability to, I don't know, shoot fireballs or something versus uh, the ability to read minds, something like that. But one power that every player is going to have is what I'm tentatively calling, uh, this is a working title only, I'm calling it the MacGyver power, and it's the ability to f- find random stuff and turn it into stuff you can actually use. And that's where the panels are going to come in and have, and have each item in its own panel and then be able to combine those in the way that, you, that, that when reading comics it tends to go from left to right in a zigzag motion going down to the bottom of the page. And uh, that, that's something where I'm, I'm planning to have the panels come in there. And, the, and uh, those items can be used also to interact with the environment and with other characters. Over here is kind of an inspiration board that I've got uh, going on. I keep adding to it, so it's a little bit cluttered right now. But uh, starting from going clockwise, we've got uh, the current Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, who is a 16-year-old Muslim Pakistani-American teenager from Jersey. And uh, her, I highly recommend this series. It takes a lot of uh, a very critical look at a lot of the tropes surrounding not just girls but teenagers, um, not just um, people who do not fit the master narrative of you know, being white, Caucasian, and Christian, but also a lot of things about contemporary culture. And uh, I don't want to give spoilers, but it's a really excellent and important series. I've got Steven Universe up there for both the way that the show handles representation and body diversity in a way that is not soapboxing and feels very natural, which is something I, I would like to have in my game. Uh, this individual, starting here, is Fantoma. And Fantoma is a very early female superhero, arguably one of the first, if not the first. Uh, she vies for that title with Miss um, Fury back here, who uh, design looks a lot like Catwoman, I know, but Miss Fury was doing this first. Um, Fantoma was in that vein from the 30s pulps of the, 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 like the Jungle Queen, but a lot of the Jungle Queens of the pulps um, tended to go around in little bikinis made out of animal skins. And yes, they were forces for good, but it was, they were also being capitalized on the fact that, well, she's uninhibited and wild and savage because from, she's from the jungle, but she was like a British foundling, so she's white, so it's okay to you know, find her attractive. Fantoma, when she goes to fight crime, looks like this. And uh, that's, as you see, now you will pay a, a dreadful penalty. She's very angry at someone there. And uh, obviously her, her appearance is not relying on her beauty to fight crime. Uh, the Red Tornado is, uh, is um, arguably the, uh, the first superhero who is um, 
Well, I can't think of a more delicate way to put this cross-dressing. She's actually an, uh, an, an elderly uh, widowed lady who is so fed up with what's going on in Hell's Kitchen that she dresses up as the Red Tornado and puts a saucepan on her head and goes out and fights crime, and she's very no-nonsense. Uh, but when she's in her alter ego, she's also very much a, a figure who's well-known and well-respected in her community, and I really like that idea. Um, I've got Miss Fury up here who is again, vying with Fantoma for the title of the very first superhero in American comics. And she is uh, a socialite when she's not fighting crime. And I'm always sitting here going, did she, Bruce Wayne is copying her. Like this, this, that whole idea of the millionaire playboy, there was a whole rash of female superheroes in the 40s that did that, that by day they were a flighty socialite, usually the daughter of some politician or some like, Hollywood producer, that they, had these, they, they were seen as having these charmed lives, that they were very flighty, and then they would go and put on a costume, usually involving a mask, and go fight crime. And the comic would, would usually end with the heroine's uh, love interest or father reading about the exploits of the superheroine in the paper and say, well, I wish you had ambition, I wish you were more like Miss Fury and she looks at the audience and she winks. And that was a very common theme in a lot of 40s um, superhero comics. And I was thinking about that idea of that the character is truly themselves when they're in costume versus when they're in their alt, that their alter ego is the mask and their real self is their costumed identity. Um, which is something that we bring through in my so-called secret identity, which is the uh, the comic that I work on with uh, Dr. Will Brooker and Susan Shore, as well as other collaborators. This cover is um, by a very talented artist, Ursula Dorada, and the. Um, the, the comic got its start um, one day Will, Will walked into a comic book store in, in Kingston upon Thames where um, he teaches at Kingston University where I was a student and found it was very much in the vein of the 1990s, early 2000s, lots of ladies in skin-tight outfits with, with gravity-defying anatomy, uh, no girls at all in the shop, and the proprietor and his buddies were playing video games in the back. I know that comic book store. I've walked into it. I've tried to find something I would read and have turned around and walked back out every time. And then uh, that later that day, he was teaching a class and found the majority of students, PhD candidates, were young ladies and was thinking, is there a superhero that they can relate to? And then he remembered, well, there's a reason why, ah, there's a reason why our protagonist, Cat, has red hair and a black outfit, and the similarities to Batgirl are not purely coincidental. They were entirely intentional. Uh, Batgirl started off as a PhD student in the 70s, uh, and this was an aspect of the character that was not really explored very much, and uh, it always took a back seat to the crime-fighting aspects of the story. So we were thinking, how about a character that balances that, where you actually see her going in to class and say her having meetings with her supervisors, and the kind of daily microaggressions she experiences just as being very intelligent um, and not in a way that's heavy-handed, but she discovers that in a city full of superheroes, by, the, by assuming a costumed identity herself, she's able to be much truer to who she really is and use her intellect in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment where it's not seen as something she has to suppress. I've got DC Superhero Girls up here, which is a new property that's, that's launching later this year, where uh, DC has reinvented a whole ton of its female characters, including Batgirl, 
Um, nice to see characters like Bumblebee and Katana up there, and um, characters like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. They're being reinvented as high schoolers because why not? But the, but the, uh, but uh, none of their costumes are particularly revealing, and the characters are all trying to represent different traits and values that could be that can be seen as valuable. Even Harley Quinn is being, uh, including her, her sense of humor. We're hoping this is before she meets the Joker, so I'd, I'm not sure what they're doing with the timeline there. But and of course I've got Furiosa from Mad Max up there because also a very, very important character and ostensibly qualifies as a female superhero in her own right. Um, and, I, and I have here, I have this question, is what is your interactive intervention, your, your contribution to this conversation going to look like? I have here post-it notes. I would like each of you to write down, if you were to create, if you were playing this game, if you were creating your, your Ms. Meta, what would you like her to look like? What would you like her to do uh, um, and be? Uh, would you like her, how, would, how would you shape her identity? Thank you. And if you would like, I am, I am going to put together a mailing list at some point once I actually have stuff that's playable uh, and, and, and be able to get together beta testers. If you would like to be involved in this, please feel free to write some way for me to contact you on your post-it note. Uh, this is really tiny, but um, let's see if this works. No, it doesn't. I can't really zoom in to sh have my email or my Twitter handle up there, but I will go really old school and use chalk. So, and it's yellow, it's not, is it yellow? I can't tell if this, ah, there we go. Yeah, but the thinner it is, the more likely it is for it to squeak. I haven't, um, I think the last time I wrote on a chalkboard was the last time I guest lectured at MIT. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at Emerson, we have whiteboards. But <laughs> All right, so my Twitter handle is at Dr. Sarah Zaydan. Yes, I changed it the day I got my PhD. Don't judge me. And uh, just like I went to the bank and changed my bank details and my email address, and I have read many articles that say that that is pretentious and something everyone does when they get their PhD, but I don't care. <laughs> I had to code in ActionScript 3.0 for four years. Now, uh, my Emerson email is Sarah underscore, because we're still in the 90s, uh, even though we have whiteboards, um, at Sarah underscore Zaydan at emerson.edu. And now that I have talked for almost an hour. I would like to turn it over to the floor and take your questions. Hopefully you have questions. If you don't have questions, I can keep talking. <laughs> you are writing. If you are playing this game and you get to create your character, what, how would you do that? What would, you, what would she be? What would she look like? What kind of things would you, options would you like to have? You're welcome. Yes. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing a glimpse of your creative process. Thank you. Um, so I'm not a creative person, so I'd love to hear more like the relationship, like the kind of research you're doing in archives and how that sort of then flows into the creative yeah. process. And it sounds like you have like this with lots of images, I don't know, maybe just a little bit oh, more. Oh, certainly. So what I end up doing with the, uh, the archival research is 
that informs my work conceptually. Like, I really want to bring in that intense social anxiety about World War II. I don't know how yet, but I want that to be something that, as, as my, my idea for the level layout is, um, each mission represents a year in that decade. So it'll begin in 1940, and that won't be quite as prevalent there. It'll be more like a typical superhero narrative of that time, kind of typical like six-page comic story that you might find in that from 1940. But then as you get to 1941, 42, 43, and so on, and I, don't, I don't just want it to be the way that the comics presented World War II. I want to have um, a lot more, I mean, I, I am probably going to go to historic texts that get more into like the politics of things as well. Um, I definitely want to look into the way that it affected um, uh, American culture on the ground level too, like how it affected ordinary citizens and of different um, different levels and different demographics. Um, and I'm hoping I can get a lot of that from the magazines and also from other um, other material at the Schlesinger because that's a wonderful place of amazing joyness. I could just, I wish they'd let you bring a sleeping bag, but they don't. Um, they kick you out. It's it's sad. It happened to me. Well, I, it was more that I had 10 minutes and I had to finish, and yeah. But I'm also using, because the magazines are also so visual, I'm also looking at the way that uh, the photographs and the, and the illustrations are, are representing people as well. And even the topics that were on people's minds. There's this, um, there, there's some very interesting serial narratives in Ladies' Home Journal that go on over the course of several months, and um, one of which was Daughter of Divorce, uh, was a protagonist who married in haste but was scared to uh, get out of it because she was a daughter of divorce, and she remembered what it was like being shuttled between two families and didn't want her child to have to go through that. But what ends up happening is her husband's law firm like falls apart and he leaves her and she's stuck with this baby and her mother-in-law tries to steal the baby and it's very soap opera but in the in the process she starts working for the first time in her life and starts to develop a sense of who she is outside of someone's wife or someone's mother. And yes, she does find love, but it's after she's found self-actualization. I thought this is a really interesting message to, to give to your readers in 1940. And then there was one called The Bright Face of Danger, where the protagonist is also a professional. Uh, she works at an illustration firm. And she meets this guy on a blind date on a cruise, and within two weeks agrees to marry him, and then uh, I never finished reading it because I got kicked out. But from what I understand, it, that was the bright face of danger. So it was not being presented as a good thing to you know, meet someone on a cruise and run off with them. And I'm like, I want to show this to everyone who thinks the romance in Twilight is healthy. But, uh, but um, so I, I, the, there's a lot of, I take in a lot of material and then I distill it. I always think of research as a funnel. You stick a whole bunch of things in, and what you get out is, is something concentrated, which is then what you show the rest of the world. So um, I'm researching, I'm using games as my research too, like uh, the actions the games allow you to take, the way that the player embodies the identity of the player character. Um, that, that's something else that I'm taking note of. So when I'm playing the games, I'm, I'm taking note of how, they are, how they're doing that in different ways. I'm taking note of how environments create a sense of, for example, social anxiety. Um, I'm currently, in addition to this, working on a book chapter that's due in a month and two weeks, and I haven't started writing it yet. But it is on nationalism, 
racism and citizenship in the cities of the Bioshock franchise. And that's a really, really great resource for visual culture, the way that all of those games use it, and posters, the media, like what you hear on the radio, what you see on the walls, uh, what's being sold to characters in the shops, um, all of those kinds of things create a picture of what the community was like and what it was like to be a citizen there or to have that citizenship taken away from you if you didn't fall in line with the ideals of each of those cities, which is something else I'm exploring in my paper. But even, even for that, I'm seeing how um, like in later levels, and especially in the first game, you go from the more luxurious areas to where there were the protests, and sort of seeing how, how is that um, social tension and disruption manifesting in the world of the game, and, and thinking, how can I take that and, and, and possibly do something with it? So there's pulling in from lots of places. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you for a very engaging, fascinating talk. Um, You're welcome. Uh, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit more. You mentioned the question of identity, and specifically in reference to playing Batman and yes. the actions that you can take, um, and how that can be a source of identity formation mm -hmm. and enactment of those actions. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how you're thinking about um, the actions that people can take when they're playing in games and the sorts of either fleeting or durable effects that those can have on their understandings of themselves. Thank you for asking such a wonderful question. I really am excited that you said that because that there, I've got a lot of thoughts on that. I have a lot of thoughts on that because I recently started playing a game called Undertale. And uh, for those of you who have not played it, do. And um, especially you, Catherine. Play it now. Uh, her, her, the project I'm working on with her kind of depends on it, well, at least at this, at this juncture. But uh, it's, an, it's a really interesting game because what it's doing is exactly taking that question and presenting it in a way that uh, is very, very thought-provoking. And I've been looking at fan responses to the game, and I found a really interesting post on someone's Tumblr last night where the game made her, the way she was behaving in the game made her question everything she thought was true about herself as an individual. So for a little bit of background without spoilers, I am not going to give away spoilers because I know that everyone is on a different page about spoilers, but this is one th experience that I would like everyone to have if they decide to have it as um, spoiler-free as possible. So, but I will say this, is that you play a human character who drops in a hole into the world of monsters. And the, for background, and this is in the introductory um, kind of opening scenes, so it doesn't count as spoilers, that there was a war between the humans and monsters in this world, and the humans sort of sealed the monsters underground. So you're playing as this human. And the game is taking a lot of cues from late 80s, early 90s Japanese role-playing games, especially Earthbound, and uh, has lots of quirky text and humor and is very enjoyable from, from that standpoint. But um, the actions that the player can take, they can, they can walk around, they, they can explore, they can find items and press the interact button, and you know, it tells it's a bottle of water. Uh, and, uh, but there's random battles, just like in any typical role-playing game. And in those battles, there's four options the player can take. They can act, they can fight, they can run, or they can mercy. And mercy is not an option that's immediately available to the player at the start of every battle. Uh, what the player has to do, often, is interact with the character that's trying to fight them, uh, evade their attacks. I'm not going to get into how they have to do that or how, how the game lets you do that because it's very interesting and 
dependent upon each of the characters that you're fighting and or are you fighting you know are you going to talk to them uh, are you going to try to do something for them like if it, I will give this much spoiler if, if you are fighting a dog character your best bet is to pet them that's all I have to say about that and uh, the petting is in the case of one character, it just like almost causes them to spontaneously combust with joy. And then you don't have to fight them anymore. So there's, there's a hang of it with, with each of the characters that you, you encounter. How, how do you um, figure out to get, how do you figure out how to end this without violence? And the game logs what you do. So each time you replay it, if you played a previous game and actually did kill characters, the game remembers and doesn't let you forget that, which I thought was an interesting device and uh, a little, possibly a little bit heavy-handed, but no more so than games that give the illusion of choice, such as the Bioshock franchise that I am looking at so deeply right now. But um, this Tumblr post I looked at, the, it was a 21-year-old girl's Tumblr, and she was talking about how as she was playing through this game, she always thought of herself as a kind person, but the frustration of some of the battles made her just want to take the easy option and fight her way out and kill the, the character in front of her. And she described feeling so emotionally overwrought because of this game and how it made her take this look at herself that because is it just a game, does that justify killing virtual characters? And it really made her think about um, she believed herself to be someone who was kind and who would never hurt a fly, but here she is ready to kill this character just to end this frustra frustrating experience. But she didn't. She just went, she sort of powered through it. There, she said she stopped playing. She came back many, many times. Lots of, lots of yelling and gnashing of teeth and tears. But, she, but when she got to it at the end, she felt that she'd had an experience that at least let her still be true to her own moral compass. And that's... I'm not sure if I want people to have that much of an emotional reaction to my game. I don't want it to make anyone cry. Um, Valiant Hearts made me cry, just as a warning. They're, 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 that game did make me cry. But I, I don't want this game to make people cry. What I would like it to do is, is to think about how they choose to engage with uh, the game space. Because game genres, just the term game genres, to, I find is something intensely problematic. And when I teach game design, I never begin the first class with what is a game because I feel that if I were to do that, I am shutting the door on all the things a game could be and saying, oh, a game has to be this. Well, no, it doesn't. Who said it has to be this? It can be all these other things. And I do want the player to have opportunities to engage with, with the game world in a way that isn't just falling in line with existing genres where you have to fight because that's the way the game tells you you engage with um, people that are not necessarily on your side. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily want that to be the feeling. You know, so many games I've played as, well, I'm thinking back to this Game Gear X-Men game that still traumatized me because I was so excited to get to play as all these different characters and found they all played exactly the same. The ones who could fly could just hover in the air for two seconds longer than the ones who didn't when you jumped. And Wolverine, uh, like his, the only thing that made him different was the sprite and the fact that when he punched, claws came out. But if you played a Psylocke, when she punched, a little purple fireball comes out. It's like, this is exactly the same character. I'm just running and jumping and fighting and doing all these things, and I'm not feeling the experience of playing as this diverse group of characters that are the X-Men. Okay, it was 1991, it was on the Game Gear. I know I'm not expecting a lot, but today I can expect a lot, and I can expect a lot from, from myself and from the games I play. 
Yes. Um, so more towards the beginning, you mentioned that your hope is to try to have uh, uh, modular uh, player characters so that you can develop a, a character that represents whatever you wish as a player. I'm wondering what this process looks like and how you're, how you're finding different inspirations for what you're going to allow into that system. Thank you for asking that question. Um, some of the things I've been looking at are well, I am, as I said, I'm focusing on the 40s a lot because the present day is only going to exist as like the opening tutorial intro level, and the first like main main campaigns, main missions are going to be the 40s. But I've been looking into just um, coincidentally, Agent Carter got renewed for a second season, and the diversify Agent Carter hashtag on Twitter has been really useful for me to see the way that because um, at first, you know, it's, it's interesting you ask that because at first. I was going to initially have the player. I, I was having the, the the character creation system was not modular. I was going to only give the option to play as a person of color, and then find when they ended up in the 40s that they were whitewashed and how they had to deal with that. And then I realized early on that that, that I'm soapboxing. I'm showing the gimmick too soon, and just having the player come across that kind of obstacles. Like, yeah, we get it. There wasn't a lot of representation in the 40s. Okay, what else? You know, what more is this game going to do? And I and I so I gave up on that on that on that angle and thought about the modular system. And I am um, probably going to go a bit of the route of um, Kurt Busiek's and uh, oh, what is his name? Uh, the artist who paints comic book characters like they're real people. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so embarrassed I cannot remember Alex Ross. But um, in my defense, I was teaching, had a bunch of meetings, and I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> so otherwise, I would not have forgotten Alex Ross. Uh, Alex Ross and, De and Kurt Busiek's book Marvels, where it's from the perspective of an investigative journalist and beginning in the 40s and ending kind of in, I want to say, the late 60s. And what the conceit of that book is, is the perspective of an ordinary human living in a world where there are superheroes and it's a fact of life in New York City and in, in, in the Marvel Universe. And um, I was thinking how my game is going to be taking real events, it is going to be taking things that, ha that did happen, and it is going to be incorporating the style of the comics themselves, but I am going to depict things that comics would not have shown about that period of history that, that aren't quite so simplified and, 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 re and uh, this kind of reductivist approach that's simplified for the, for the audience, which at the time in the 40s was overwhelmingly uh, children. Um, that, that's something that I am, I am going to shy away from. So it's almost like you're playing in our world, but if our world had superheroes in it, and I also want um, some of the the uh, the like responses to the character to in different eras and different cir circumstances to vary depending on who, how how who you are playing as and what kind of identity you've constructed for this character. So those are some of the things I'm looking at to help inform this process. I, I figure that. I'll probably end up with a placeholder sprite at first until I've got everything working and got the mechanics nailed down and then introduce this modular system. I'll know a little bit more next week. I'm meeting with um, one of my colleagues at the Engagement Lab who's been working on a game for the World Bank that has a lot of modular um, world design. So we're hoping we can possibly use some of that in my game, have the source code kind of already there and save me some time. Yes. Um, do you view like the current trend of um, 
female superheroes taking on traditionally like male superheroes like Thor or Spider Gwen as a, like a positive, or do you think it would be more useful to um, raise up, uh, or like, do you think it's more useful to raise up like traditionally lower level superheroes like Jessica Jones, or just to create new superheroes, new female superheroes altogether? I think all of those options can be good, but so much has to do with the creative team that's handling it is the problem. I mean, I just, uh, for exhibit A of that, I give you Batwoman and what happened after the original creative team stopped writing for her, her book. Um, I did not stick around with it much after that, um, but the, I think all of this is important because it is going to bring in different readers for different reasons. And um, like I know some people were reading the new Ms. Marvel because she's a legacy character. Uh, same thing with, with Kate Bishop as Hawkeye. Or um, in the case of Jessica Jones, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for the TV series. I'm, I'm hoping it will be good. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm hoping. And then in the case of like uh, the DC, it's um, animated series web only Vixen, which, which counts as the first animated series headlined by a female superhero. And that's on the CW's uh, website. So I still have to wa get caught up with watching that before I can make a comment on it. But I'm kind of like, well, Okay, first female headlining superhero, but it's on the web. But it's the DC universe, so I hope I can trust it. You know, I, I'm still still trying to figure that out. But I do think all of those things are positive. And just the response to Spider Gwen and I mean, how many people are still peeved at what happened to Gwen Stacy in the 60s and in the most recent film, of course, which I I think at this point is not spoilers. But <laughs> all right, well, thank you, uh, Dr. Zayn, for the talk.